grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Jo Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. Hi and welcome to Adopt Perspective. I'm your host, Jo Sparrow. If I had to pinpoint the moment that adoption really reared its head in a disruptive way in my own life, it would start with the experience of motherhood. This period in an adopted woman's life is also of great interest to today's guest, social worker and academic at the University of Melbourne, Dr. Jenny Conrick. Prior to becoming an academic, Jenny had 30 years experience as a social work clinician, manager and educator in the non-government and health sectors, providing services across the life cycle to those with an adoption, out-of-home care and trauma experience. She is a qualitative and mixed methods researcher and her current areas of research interest include the impacts of legislative change on people in the child and family welfare domain. Jenny has undergraduate and postgraduate degrees in social work and social studies and a PhD in social work. She's an accredited member of the Australian Association of Social Workers and the Australian College of Social Workers and the Australian Association of Infant Mental Health. Welcome to Adopt Perspective, Jenny. How accomplished are you? Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jo. It's a real pleasure to be here. (laughs) We're lucky to have you Jenny, how did you become interested in studying the mothering experience of adopted women? Well, across my career, I've worked in various contexts within the child and family welfare field. And from time to time, I'd meet women and hear about their life experiences. And inevitably, a number of them were adopted. And later, I worked in the Adoption Information Service um, in the Department of Human Services, and I became very curious from what I was hearing from clients of that service uh, to see what the literature had to say about adopted people um, in adulthood, and particularly when they were parents. And what I found at that time was very little. Um, It was almost as if... um, Adoption wasn't recognised in adults, um, that adults had become um, a hidden group in our community and certainly uh, adopted women as parents were just not on the agenda except for one small study that I found from Sydney by uh, Massa and Whitfield. Um, So in 2010, as part of my master's social work degree, I thought I would uh, conduct a small pilot study about adoption and motherhood, firstly to see if there were any women uh, I could find who'd be interested, and then to see if they would want to speak to me, um, and then um, also to hear about any needs that they saw that they had um, currently. 
And on the strength of those findings, and I had three very generous women who spoke to me, I went ahead and started my larger PhD study. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, just looking at the larger picture for a moment, I noted that your study response to recommendations made in a couple of reports calling for further systemic um, inquiry, systematic inquiry, sorry, into all areas of adoption, practice and policy. Can you tell us about this and why more research is needed? Yes. So by the time I was involved in my PhD study, PhD study, the findings from several significant national inquiries and reports were being released. And uh, a particular note was the Senate Inquiry into Former Forced Adoption Policies and Practice, 2012, and the AFE study conducted by Kenny on the impacts of past adoption experiences. So this, I was very fortunate that this was happening um, because they really brought to public notice and attention the experiences of all members of the adoption circle. So adopted people, mothers, fathers, um, and other um, relatives. These reports really pointed to almost the hidden uh, costs of adoption for these people. And it also um, really pointed to the fact that adoption is just not a once-off event that happens to babies um, and adult parents, but it's a status and a way of being that impacts across the lives of people and that what uh, that often people who have been adopted may not understand uh, some of the things they are experiencing at particular times in their lives. They can't make sense of them, nor see necessarily that they're related to their adoption experiences. And they're not necessarily getting the right sort of support at that time from people who really have um, an understanding of the deep impacts of adoption. And I think, um, so I think that uh, all of those impacts are still needing a lot of research, uh, particularly with adults and ageing adults. And it really also says that the more we understand, I would hope the more policy and practices can change, particularly with adults, and that there's more support, um, a better understanding through prof by professionals of what's needed. Thank you. Yeah, um, there really is a dearth in this area of, of study. So thank you for stepping into that. Um, Jenny, what can you tell us about how we think of motherhood and mothering in Australia? Yes. Ah, what an interesting question. So I actually um, looked up the definition of mothering in the Oxford Dictionary. And it said um, mothering is bringing up a child with care and affection. And this means meeting the practical and the emotional needs of that child um, throughout their childhood and embedding them in a network of family, friends and wider community that provide them with a whole lot of resources as they're developing, not only in childhood but beyond. So who fills this role of mothering, of course, has often been women. But in these, this day and age, um, these roles and tasks can be fulfilled by all sorts of people within a family. And a family, I still believe, is one of the strongest units in society, no matter how it's constituted. And we know that we have a variety of families. Um, so uh, that, uh, And um, 
often the tasks are not only um, determined by who's in the family, but also by cultural norms and social norms and social determinants. So I think we've got quite a diverse array of biological families and also social families. And within those, various people perform this um, nurturing uh, and affection and uh, social connection roles. Mm, that's interesting, isn't it? Mm, I think it is, yes. And I think... Um, uh, I think families, uh, be, motherhood brings with it its own challenges for everybody, whoever performs those roles. Um, and I think they're still challenges um, and they're added to by um, so, uh, housing demands, work demands. But I think for women who are adopted as they parent, um, there's always the added overlay of um, the re-emergence of adoption issues and then trying to incorporate those as they develop um, and define how they want to be a mother. Yeah. So what were you specifically addressing or um, with the study or what were you trying to find out? Mm. So this was an exploratory study. Um, as you said, there's been a dearth of, of studies in this area. And uh, I really wanted to hear from the women themselves. I wanted them to tell me what the issues were from their perspectives because they, they were a hidden group. And so I looked to them as my teachers and um, it was almost as simple as that. Tell me what it's like. And uh, while everything is very personal and individual, are there any common themes that come from your experiences that might be of use um, to other adopted women? Uh, and to practitioners who potentially want to support and assist. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about how the study was conducted? Yes. Um, so I wanted to hear from women um, who were just out there in the general population. So my challenge initially was how to reach them. In Melbourne at that time, there was a magazine called Melbourne's Child and it was a free magazine about health, education, recreation that were, was just placed in doctors' surgeries, maternal and child, child health centres, hospitals. It was all over the place. Uh, and I thought I would advertise in that and I put this tiny little ad in there because they were very expensive, um, asking women to contact me if they, were, if they were adopted and interested in speaking about being a mother. And then um, over time, um, word got around and women were contacting me directly. Um, so overall, I had about 45 responses to my ad and then the word of mouth. And um, 21 of those responses filled the study selection criteria, which, which was that the women were adopted in Victoria and that they still had children living at home. And I felt that was very important to make it current. And I would have loved to have interviewed women from other states, but I decided not to because each state has its own particular policies and procedures. And um, I thought that might just skew things a little. I also decided not to include inter-country adoptees at that point because I felt um, that uh, cultural experience um, and racial experience were um, additional factors and, and I would like to 
perhaps speak to uh, inter-country adopted women at some point about their parenting experience. So um, that was how I got my participants. And I ended up with um, 18 women who I interviewed. Uh, and that was recorded and transcribed. And they had a look at all of that transcription and they decided whether what they want included and, and what they uh, might want to change. And then there were five additional women who I didn't interview and they formed a, a focus group. And once I had uh, collated my findings and pulled out what I thought were themes, um, I then presented that to these five women and they um, took an afternoon to discuss whether they felt um, those findings were valid and really captured um, what I'd been told. Yeah, that's really interesting how you, um, you know, you could get so expansive, you can get excited about research, can't you? You can think, I'm going to get all these different people, but you really do have to hone it down and then, you know, it might spark future research into other areas that you couldn't cover. Exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. So what did you uncover about how the research participants felt and thought about being a parent? Okay. So becoming a mother and being a mother awakened um, unexpected and a profound sense of grief loss and abandonment. Uh, and women spoke about this catching them by surprise. And often this occurred after the birth of their first child, sometimes after the birth of a second child. It may have been influenced by the gender of their child. But at times, this sense that they felt at the beginning of parenthood re-emerged at other times. It seemed as if holding that infant child of theirs was like experiencing themselves as infants and they wondered who had held them when they were that age and who had kept them in that mind in mind and that was a great source of um, sadness for them um, it also reawakened um, thoughts about their birth mothers and what it must have been like for them and perhaps for the first time for several it made them feel an empathy for the, their birth mother that they may not have felt previously and several women also said that they thought about their adoptive mothers many of whom had not had the experience of carrying biological children and they felt um, a, a grief I guess uh, for them um, for all of the women, or a great number of them, their children were the first biological relatives with whom they'd had a really close relationship. And this was a profound experience. And they said being able to touch their child's face, being able to uh, see themselves in that child was enormously um, profound. Uh, and one woman said she was actually quite angry with her husband at that point because their first child looked like him and not her. <laughs> <laughs> so she was quite miffed by that. Uh, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> um, I think too, uh, so, so being a mother really did touch on uh, a lot of adoption issues um, for them. And it's certainly... Uh, 
reawakened uh, a desire to find out more about their their early years and their first family. Um, some uh, had uh, reapplied for adoption records or tried to find out more records. Others uh, began searching for first family or reigniting first family contact with all that came after that. The other thing that I think being uh, a mother prompted was that they really saw a connection, a direct connection between um, the mother they wanted to be, their values, goals, hopes, and what they did as a mother and their adoption experiences. They saw those early years in their adoptive family their thoughts, their doubts, the way in which they were treated, that their access to information or lack of access to information has been very, very formative. Um, so that, <coughs> excuse me, they said they certainly had a fierce commitment to the, the family that they'd formed, that they would die for them. Yeah. And they attributed this to being an adopted person. They said that they strove to be the best mothers they could be and they placed a very high value on openness and honesty in their relationship with their children and partners and they saw this as having to do with the perhaps lack of information they had. Mm. They Part of being the best mother they could was um, their desire to avoid visiting um, any negatives from their childhood experiences to their children. So they wanted to um, mitigate any um, anxiety or depression they were experiencing. They wanted to, to mitigate that impact on their children. They also really tried to address any sense of inadequacy as a parent. You know, have I got a right to be this parent? Am I going to be good enough by... Um, talking to other parents, by going to parenting classes. Um, they were absolutely diligent in trying to improve that part of their lives. Um, and, of course, in all of this, these efforts, um, what they were also wrestling with was the question about their own identity and, again, where they fitted um, and just who they were. And they had to re-look re at all of that and reconfigure it uh, in some way. There is just so much in that that I identify with. <laughs> and um, I, just thinking about uh, the ones that were a little angry at their partner because the baby looked like them. <laughs> I can recall when my first son was born, everyone coming to the hospital and all saying, oh, you didn't get a look in, Joe looks just like Baden. <laughs> and I was getting more and more upset by, by yes. the moment, you know. Uh, and I, yes, and I, I think for some, because um, they were also commenting about family comments uh, and how that was quite strange in some ways because um, those sorts of comments couldn't be made about them in their mm -hmm. adoptive families. And in fact, some of them had heard other comments if there were biological children in the adoptive family that those children look like other relatives and yeah. that then made them feel different and separate. Yeah. But something some of the women, well, each of the women spoke about was their connection to their um, own children and um, several women said that they were very anxious in those first months about leaving their children 
one woman said she would not let anybody hold their, her child except her. And another woman said, I actually said to her, we, you are a very attached mother to your child. And she said, attached? She said, I was super glued. I used to live with one foot in the crib. And she said, that wasn't good after a while. <laughs> so there was that experience. And then at the other end, there was another woman who said she, she had two sons and she said she daren't let herself become too bonded to them. Um, within that first two years because there was always that fear that there'd be a separation yeah. and it was only after their second birthday that she was able to relax yeah. so that was also uh, very profound so did your participants report any mental health issues after becoming a parent they did mm -hmm. um about 19 of them reported experiencing anxiety and or depression since becoming a parent. Several had said they'd experienced that on and off prior to, to parenting, but it became a feature uh, and they'd each sought help of one sort or another. So several women were still on medication and they'd all sought counselling of one sort or another. And three women had been diagnosed with postnatal depression following the birth of a child. Um, and that, given the percentage that I had 21 women in my study, that's actually a higher prevalence in that small group than in the general population um, at the time. And so that raised for me issues about what that was and whether it was this uh, reconnecting with that sense of abandonment or reconnecting with a, a feeling of how am I going to parent this child, doubting themselves. So it's a very complex space, I think, those early um, months and years. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the women were very con um, concerned to shield the, their children from the effects of this anxiety very fearful that they were going to visit this on their children. And one woman in my master's study actually said um, she was really concerned that her teenage child was starting to exhibit anxiety symptoms and she was feeling so guilty and worried that she was the cause of this. Yeah. So there was an overlay of guilt and concern and mm. vigilance about um, what they might um, give to their children I guess yeah um Jenny I know in my own experience um whether to have children or not was something that was I thought long and hard about and yeah. um conceiving a child was difficult for us it took a number of years and I would refuse to have anything to do with IVF I didn't I couldn't participate in anything that heightened that um and people even asked me would you adopt a child I was like no <laughs> You know, I could never have separated my experience from that of a child that I brought in. Um, so I'm just wondering, did you find that adoption had impacted your participants' decision to have children? Good question. Um, in the PhD group, that wasn't a strong finding. Um, most of the women said that they had wanted children, um, there was one who was ambivalent um, but then had her children. Um, I think they felt very, quite strong about not adopting, 
although in my master's group, they're one of those participants had actually adopted her two children mm. um, after trying various means of having um, children biologically. And that was um, something, again, she was extremely committed to her children and felt that her own personal experience um, assisted her in, in mothering her children. Um, but there are other studies, and I think the Masso and Whitfield study that I mentioned before, and so, certainly the Kinney study, do talk about that. That and because they had a wider pool as well of, of women they spoke to, that some women really did consider long and hard would they parent um, mm. or not? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it'll be, um, we were having a little chat before we started recording and um, it'd be so interesting to extend this into male and other adoptees um, <laughs> to see, you know, how it's impacted them in that way as well. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, my dream would be to do a much broader study because this is so small and, and what I'm speaking about today is really only pertinent to the group of women who participated. So to know how... Uh, how broad these experiences are and how diverse would be wonderful. Yeah. No men's experiences would be fabulous because men are often more reluctant to speak about mm. these things. To, to understand um, the intergenerational experience, the children of adopted people, what's their experience? And now some of those children will be having their own children and what's that flow on experience? So any funding out there? <laughs> Anyone interested in studying uh, and wants a supervisor, I'm interested as well. Because I'm I interested. My hands are Because <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it's still, it is still such a hidden part of our community. Yeah. But the ripple effect is yeah. so broad. Um, and there's so much to be learned uh, from people's experience about other parts of life, such as um, IVF. Mm -hmm. such as surrogacy uh, and people in, in out-of-home care. Um, and we need to understand it because people suffer throughout their lives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So um, how did their experiences of motherhood impact the relationships that your participants had with their adoptive family members and others? Yes. Um, good question. Uh, one of the things that... Um, I noted at the beginning, I actually mapped the uh, early experiences of each of these participants as far as they knew before they joined their adoptive families and then asked them about their early experiences with their adoptive families because I felt both of those areas impacted not only on motherhood but also on their later relationships with their adoptive families. So what surprised me, I guess, because the average age of the women in the study was about 44, um, was that all of the women had spent the early weeks, often up to three months of age, in hospital care, in baby home care, and only, I think, one had had... Um, pre-adoptive foster care, but they had all had several types of care before they joined their adoptive families. And that raised for me the impact, uh, what we now know about the impact of stress on the developing brain of young infants um, and what that 
left them with, um, that their adoptive parents most likely were not supported to understand or address. So that was one question. The other was um, their experiences with their adoptive families. And a number of participants said that they'd had pretty good adoptive experiences. There was then a middle group who said, look, they're okay, um, you know, but there were difficulties. Um, difficulties because I think two had lost adoptive parents through death by the time they were 10. Uh, one had a, an adoptive parent with mental health issues. One had an adoptive parent with a hidden alcohol problem. And then there were three who had experienced um, sexual abuse or abuse of one sort or another. So these experiences really impacted not only on parenting and um, their mental uh, and emotional well-being, but also on subsequent um, relationships with their adoptive parents. So what was very significant was whether their adoptive parents could step up to the plate and be good, good, in inverted commas, grandparents. If they were interested, attentive, positive grandparents, that really scored a lot of points with my women. Um, if they had been there to support their daughters, their adopted daughters, following the birth of their children, that often changed and turned around uh, some... Um, fragile relationships and strengthened them. Um, and there was one woman I, I recall who um, had been the youngest in a family where, where the other children were birth children and they were much older than her and she'd had a fairly fiery and challenging relationship with her adoptive parents. And when she fell into depression with her fir first child, they were there every day and they and her husband worked out a, a regime that supported her, the baby and the family, and that absolutely changed the relationship and dynamic. So that was very, very important. And I think the other thing that really stood out was um, adoptive parents' responses um, when um, the women in the study started searching again and making contact with birth family members. And if the adoptive parents were open and able to manage that, um, the relationship uh, was had, had a more positive tone. But if um, they didn't, then there was a part that, that the women cut off from, from them. Another factor also was that their adoptive parents were ageing and so a number of the women uh, were sandwiched between caring still for their own children of varying ages and also caring for their adoptive parents So and also negotiating perhaps birth family um, contacts. So that just added yet another layer of stress at this mm. time of mothering. Mm. Yeah, because that, I mean, that is often the case, isn't it, that mm. adoptive parents are a lot older. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And one, one woman who, there was one woman who, who didn't necessarily draw that connection between her adoption experience and her motherhood experience, but she took part in the study, which was great, and I valued her per perceptions because she, she was 
she had the youngest child in the group. She had a six-month-old child as well as two older children. She also had her adoptive parents living with her um, and one had a mental health issue. And she said she just could not afford to, to make any connections at the moment because she was so busy and so flat out. She felt once she knew what things were like, then she might be overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So that was interesting because in a way she was saying her fear was that adoption was going to have a lot of meaning for her. And yet she put her hand up to participate in this study. Yeah, that's yeah. so interesting, isn't it? Yeah, she was yeah. wonderful and, and she brought her six-month-old uh, along to the interview. And we <laughs> that would have been interesting. <laughs> Eating, crying, sleeping. It was all that no, was excellent. It was good. Yeah, she was in the thick of it. Yeah. What about pa um, partners? Did the participants uh -huh. have anything to say about the role their partners played? Lots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lots. Uh, um, yeah, so partners, uh, I think the average length of partnership was 17 years, which was pretty good yeah. at that time. Um, one partner for 17 years. Uh, several were divorced, but nevertheless, um, their partner was still very important in their lives and the lives of their children. So partners were so important as supporters um, for them. Um, those who had positive partnerships, they felt that that partner really had got to know them and supported them and had an understanding of those deep issues that no one else had. Although one participant said, of course, when you're in a partnership, you've got to open up to that partner. And so for her, that took her a long time to be able to open up and trust to that, that herself to that partnership. Um, another woman had felt she had had a good relationship with her partner, but just before the interview, uh, he apparently said to her, if only I had known um, what it was like for an adopted person, I don't think I would have married you, um, which was a devastating comment. But also, I thought, said so much about the things she struggled with and mm -hmm. the stresses on that relationship. Um, and that was a very sad story. Yeah. Um, for those who were separated, they wanted um, their partners to be involved in the lives of their children. They felt it was so important that their children had that connection, knew where they came from, uh, no secrets like they had had. Uh, and those, everybody, put a lot of value on their partners as good fathers. They had to be good fathers. Um, and that was, so that was fascinating. Yeah, that's incredible. Your participant group included adoptees who were told from a young age that they were adopted as well as late discovery adoptees. Yes. Um, I'm wondering whether this played a role in their experience of being mothers. Yes. Um, all but one of my participants were adopted in a closed system just before change of legislation, and I had one person who was adopted uh, in the 80s under the more open Victorian adoption system where 
access, a lot more information was given to, to her adoptive parents where access could have occurred um, if parties wanted it to occur. So the majority of women had their parent, adoptive parents had very little information about um, the circumstances of their child's separation from their first family. Um, and so they had very little information to give their children growing up. And that, that so, they were, so they gave their children a story about um, what the circumstances were. And of course, later, as the women searched and found information, many of those stories were overturned or expanded upon. So there was a real sense that they'd been lied to, that things had been hidden, that they wished they had known those circumstances and had that information. And that growing up, some of their thoughts and internal musings and desires to, to know their story may have been um, more realistically felt and experienced had they that information. So that really said to them they didn't want um, secrets uh, within their own families. So they valued this openness and transparency. Also, for those adopted in that closed system, they were very aware, as I mentioned before, of what Amanda Baden calls microaggressions. They were very aware of comments from extended family members or people in the community, often not meant to hurt, but, um, you know, comments about whose eyes someone might have or whose hair they've got and, and um, what uh, deceased family member they might resemble. And they were very aware that that was not them. Um, that, that 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 comparison couldn't be made, and those little aggressions um, really impact their sense of identity and sense of belonging, sense of difference, uh, and that of course then was something that they wanted to redress as parents um, within their own family. There were um, two people, uh, well three really, who found out later. In life, one woman was uh, in primary school, I think. Um, so that was a shock to her. She spoke about that shock more than a shock, but she was still a child and it did have an impact on, and she is a child and unsupported, of course, um, had to make sense of that. There was another who was told much later in life um, as a young adult. In fact, there may have been two as young adults. That was pretty devastating. And they looked to friends to try and make sense of that. And they had to, again, uh, felt that they couldn't understand why their parents may not have told them. They did, but they didn't. And they wondered about being lied to. And then there was another one, uh, another woman who found out much later after the birth of her child, and I think it was at the death of one of her adoptive parents. And that really, she said that actually turned things on um, her head, on their head really. She had to really go back and make a whole lot of uh, sense of what had happened. And she then outreached immediately to try and understand uh, and make her roots and make 
contact with family and sadly all along the way she missed people. Her birth mother had died uh, a few years after their separation. Um, the, that particular woman had also made contact with a, a birth uncle in another country and she travelled to meet him but he died two weeks before she was to travel um, and there were just these little misses all along the way. So that yeah. then really added, I think, to how she was wanting to reform her understanding of being a parent to her um, adult, oh, no, her teenage child at the time. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. Mm. Mm. For um, those who knew from a young age they were adopted, were the stories they were told about how they came to be adopted um, a significant aspect of the study? And, and if it was, in what way? Yes, I think the, the stories were often about being special. Mm. And one woman said that was a great comfort as a child. Um, she thought she really was very special, whereas others felt they didn't want to be special. They wanted just to be part of it all. Um, one or two who had, had had abusive upbringings were more or less told that um, they hadn't come from good people mm. and that was not, of course, a good thing for them. It impacted their whole sense of who they were. Mm. Um, but I think it was the lack of information. So questions couldn't be answered. Um, they couldn't ground some of their fantasies in real information. Um, and so they imagined all sorts of things. And then later in life, they had to readjust that and reconfigure it, you know, uh, with reality. Yeah. I think that was a, a big thing. Yeah. So, Jenny, overall, what do you feel are the, the takeaways about um, the meaning that adopted women draw from their experiences when parenting their own children? Yes. So that, that's a, a good one. So each person, uh, each woman in the study had an individual meaning, I guess, based on their her own personal experience. And so that varied. And it's important to keep in mind that meanings do change over time. So that was something um, I noticed. So just as we've spoken about the person who felt special, adoption had a particular meaning during her childhood and that changed um, in adulthood. And she felt robbed, I think, mm. and that she'd missed out uh, and that the state certainly had had um, a say in something it should never have had a say in. But then everyone also realised the, the moral and social um, values of the times. Um, so that's one thing. But I think that the big message was that their motherhood experiences and their aspirations as mothers were shaped in some way by their adoption status, that be, being a mother reawakened many feelings about themselves, their identity, their adoption, um, where they fitted. And that had to all be managed as well as at the time of doing this important task of parenting their children. And what really came out, I think, was that that adoption has a lifelong impact in almost every aspect of people's lives and that um, people can go along and, and live, you know, quite comfortably for a time and then 
a particular change in life, such as becoming a mother or parenting, can reawaken these things. So it's something that I'm imagining um, might impact right until the death uh, of a person. And I must say, in my private practice at the moment, the adopted people I'm speaking to are now people in their 50s and 60s, and all of a sudden, um, things that they've been quite happy with have re-emerged again, and they need just to reconfigure and rework things. Yeah. It's the saying that we have at Jigsaw is that adoption is a lifelong experience yes. and and sometimes it you know ebbs and flows in your life it's certainly been my experience um, yes. you know it raises its head and then it yeah. becomes less important but it's always there yes yes yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. yeah I know it would have been um, of great benefit to me if I'd known that adoption could affect me as a as a mother yes um, <laughs> can we go back 21 years and start over <laughs> um, <laughs> One of your initial um, questions of inquiry was to look at whether the experience of parenting is a time when additional emotional or other assistance is needed. Yeah. What did you discover? Well, the women in the study, they told me what they needed. <laughs> so they gave me five things, really. They said that they wanted the opportunity to speak about their adoption and to tell their story um, while they were parenting. It really became an urgent thing for them to be able to speak about it. They wanted their experiences, not just as a mother, but as an adopted person over their lifetime to be validated uh, and listened to and acknowledged. And they wanted to unravel the impact of the adoption for them because they felt that was important not only for their own well-being, but for their children and the family they created as a whole. And they really wanted to speak to someone who had an understanding of adoption matters. Not just anybody would do. They had to, and they were very alert to who they felt um, could really listen and un understand. They said they, their antennae were out and they knew. And they also said that what they would have loved was there, for there to be information during the antenatal period um, about how adoption um, might impact. A little leaflet in those that book of information that you get during that period. And, and I think too, um, postnatally, um, for maternal and child health nurses or obst uh, obstetricians, gynees in follow-up um, appointments, to have that information if uh, people need it. But to they also, I think services, doctors, clinicians, anybody, they have to know if people are adopted. So they need to ask that question. Yeah. And often that question isn't asked. People then have the, you know, the choice about whether they disclose that or not. But to even ask a, a woman um, before or after the birth of children might be a great help. Um, and there might be all sorts of things that they want to um to speak about so um i think there needs to be additionally more information for practitioners about uh, what it means to have an adoption experience no matter where you are and services need to be adequately funded to provide support at various points of time so not just eight 
to 10 sessions, but they, because some of these issues are so profound, they take time to unravel. And often adopted people can find it hard to trust um, and they need to know from what the women I've spoken to have told me and from my experience in my counselling, they need to know that they are safe in that um, counselling relationship and that can take time. So there needs to be that um, support, I think, and funding. Yeah. And I guess also what these women um, and my, in my study pointed to was there needs to be more research. We need to hear a lot more from people who have an adoption experience about what it's like. We can't just assume um, that it's like this or like that. We need to hear from people who know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it would have saved me a lot of heartbreak. I can look back in hindsight now and see some things I did and um, mm. the way things unfolded for me that if there'd been a resource or someone I could talk to to, to have those things um, brought to my attention in the at the time, you know, it would have saved me, you know, a lot of regret now. Um, and also support for partners perhaps who might absolutely. be quite baffled by what their partners are going through and who may not know how to support them. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's very important, I think. Mm. Um, Intercountry Adoptee Voices, we spoke to Linnell Long uh, last uh -huh. year, I think, in last season, and they've just put out some fantastic um, video resources for professionals in education and in the medical um, and mental health fields. Um, and it's a series of interviews and asking questions and, and those um, adoptees sharing their experience with the idea that it can start to get that information disseminated out there. And um, while it's all intercountry adoptee voices, it can, a lot of the things that they've experienced can be across the broader general um, adoptee experience. So. Absolutely. And a couple of years ago, um, when I lived in a regional area um, in Australia, I met two young adopted people um, and uh, they were locally adopted. Um, and so we have very few of those uh, young people these days, I think about 200 across Australia a year. Um, but what really struck me, um, each of them had an open adoption and they knew uh, birth family members. Nevertheless, they had never met another adopted person. Um, they still had many of the queries and concerns that my older adopted people that I know um, have and they had no one to speak to they might speak to a parent but they had nowhere else and I thought yeah. look we still have people coming through the system if you like who who need that additional support absolutely yeah I mean I grew up in regional Queensland for a large part of my life and while I had three adopted cousins and uh, eventually a niece and a nephew who were adopted yeah. we didn't discuss it in family um, no I felt like I, it wasn't something we could discuss. And uh, and so I didn't know any adopted people until I started going to jigsaw support groups. And, um, you know, that was I was well into adulthood when that happened. Yeah. And that makes me think of something else that the, um, the women in my studies spoke about, and that was the openness. You know, when we were speaking about the messages that they received growing up, uh, sometimes there was a lack of openness um, about discussion there wasn't that deep freedom to ask anything and not feel guilty or concerned about their adoptive parents reaction um, and how Grotevant who's a, a researcher in America is um, he's 
been conducting the, the Minnesota Longitudinal Adoption Study. So mm-hmm. I think his participants are now in their 30s or 40s perhaps. Um, and they, he speaks about the need for that openness and how that can be so important and supportive for, for young adopted people as they're growing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Jenny, there's just so many important um, points that we raised today and uh, I'll have to have a look at how long this has gone for and I might end up making it into two episodes because I'm not going to lose one minute of it. Um, do you have any plans to take this research further? Jo, I would love to broaden this study to a national one. As I mentioned, I would, I would really like to see whether these the themes that have come out from this wonderful small group of women who were so generous with their time is um, applicable to a a wider group of people. I would love to hear from men, as I said, about their fatherhood experiences, from children of adoptees, about being children of adopted people, but also if they're now parents, what, what is the ripple effect for them? I really think we need to understand more about the reunion process because that's not something we've touched a lot on here but reunion as it unfolds over the years is a very tricky and challenging thing and that's what um, also impacted the women in my studies experiences as they parented it could be a joyous thing it could be a very difficult and challenging and sad thing that Uh, prompted against uh, feelings of um, abandonment. So I think that's really good. And it would be, it's so important um, to follow through with the recommendations from um, that, the ACE report, that we need to do more Australian research. But to do that, we need funding. (laughs) So we need government or philanthropics or wherever to be able to say, yes, this is important and let's do this. And I would love to engage young researchers in um, this process because we need people moving forward as well. Yeah. Listen up, anyone who's thinking of doing their PhD. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Give me a call. (laughs) You know, Jigsaw, in any way we can assist with that happening, I would be so excited to to see those things go forward. So if there's any way we can help, you know, we would love to be involved. I personally would love to be involved. (laughs) Love love to be involved with you, (laughs) Joe. Look. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I know you're very busy, particularly at this time of year. Um, and and thank you so much for your interest in this area and for considering going forward with more of it because it is needed because these there is a cost that goes on for generations to society. So it's something we need to understand and we need to look at and, and, and help heal people so that it doesn't keep reverberating through generations. Exactly. And, Joe, thank you so much for inviting me. It's just wonderful to be able to talk about something so important. And I would really like to acknowledge and thank the women who were part of my PhD and my master's. They were so generous. They opened their souls, really. And um, you know who you are and you've made a great contribution, I think, to learning. Yeah, big thank you from me too. Yeah. And we'll put up some relevant links about Jenny's research on our podcast notes page. So be sure to check them out. It's fascinating reading. Uh, Before we say goodbye, though, do you have a story that you'd like to share with us? If you do, jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the prospective guest form that you'll find there. And note that a dot perspective can be listened to by people 
all over the world. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Jo Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Thank you.